This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Health coach, wellness author, uh, Mike, and motivational speaker, I should point out, uh, Michael Tamez is uh, standing by to tell us about his miraculous uh, health transformation. Uh, But before we get to that, let me just remind you, season four of my television program, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett, the uh, season finale, in fact, of season four, uh, just around the corner tomorrow night. And that airs, of course, Monday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern on Vision TV. Again, this is the, uh, the season finale of season four. Let me also invite you to uh, visit the website, www.strangeplanet.ca. That's your portal uh, to my various uh, projects, both radio, television, the live events, of course. And get on up to the live events page, speaking of which, because we've got two live events coming your way. One on uh, Sunday, Sunday, September the 11th, 2016, uh, presenting Dr. Judy Wood and Where Did the Towers Go? Evidence of Directed Free Energy Technology on 9-11. That's Sunday, September the 11th at the J.J.R. McLeod Auditorium. And uh, that's, it's an afternoon event. It's uh, 12.30 to 4 p.m. And you can order tickets right there on my live events page, strangeplanet.ca, or my co-presenters, uh, Patrick and Kadena. You can visit conspiracyculture.com. You can order them online there. Uh, by phone at 416-916-1696, or you can go right into their shop at uh, 1605 Queen Street West, their booth number five. All right, let's get health coach, wellness author, motivational speaker. Michael Tamez has uh, quite a 15-year health uh, transformation adventure. During that time, he lost 105 pounds, lowered his blood pressure, uh, cured his sleep apnea, and advanced gum disease all naturally without drugs or surgery. And uh, he is the author of an award-winning book, The Transformative Guide to Healthy and Balanced Living. 
Michael Tamez. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Richard, it's such an honor to be on your show, brother. Thank you so much for having me. I'm great. I'm looking at the, uh, the before and after photographs. Uh, and there's a before photo. It looks like you're standing in the kitchen. You've got a Santa Claus hat on, and you weigh, mm. it says here, 250 pounds. Uh, mm. And then the after photo, looking very svelte, 145 pounds. You lost 105 pounds. How long did it take you to lose that weight? In total, it took about 13 years. But initially, I lost 70 pounds in 10 or 11 months. So it's been a journey. It's been a long journey of learning and growing and evolving. And I have a lot to share with, with, with everything I learned. And I have, it's going to be exciting. Well, how did, if, I, if I may be so bold and, and ask you this, how did you get to that state in the first place? Tell me where you <laughs> were when you weighed, who you were and how you got there when you weighed 250 pounds. It's a long story, but long story short, I was in a um, dysfunctional relationship when I was in my late teens that caused a lot of grief and a lot of anger, a lot of resentment, a lot of guilt. And I gained a lot of weight because of that traumatic experience in a short period of time. In about two years, I gained about 70 or 80 pounds. My word. Yeah, it was, uh, and I, and then that's when I developed sleep apnea because I gained all that weight and all that, you know, all that excess weight just causes all kinds of health problems in your body. And, and I didn't want to, I didn't want to do, you know, any fad diets or I didn't want surgery. I didn't want any medications. Granted, I was using a CPAP machine for my sleep apnea, but I didn't want to be on a breathing machine for the rest of my life either. I wanted to take my health back into my hands and make some lifestyle transformations. And I started researching and learning all I could about nutrition. And one thing led to another, I became a health coach, and now I'm sharing everything I learned with the world. So that's in a nutshell, where I was to where I am. And at a certain point in this journey, you lost five family members in the course of 18 months. Tell me about that. Yeah, that was, um, that was quite the uh, traumatic experience as well. My dad, was diagnosed with ALS back in 2004, and he was actually given a two-to-three-year two life expectancy from the doctor. And he actually lived 10 years with the, with the disease. So he outlived his diagnosis by about almost seven years. And the best that, they, the, the best that conventional doctors could offer him was a pill, a medication, to extend his life three months to extend his life expectancy three months. So that was actually motivation for me to, to get into the holistic health field because that is a garbage solution to me. That doesn't work. Like that's, I could not believe that that's the only thing that they could offer. That's kind of so Western through, medicine in a nutshell though, that, isn't it? That definitely, that is absolutely the perfect description for it. It's like, okay, well you have this disease, you're gonna die. We can give you this pill that'll let you live a little longer, but um, sorry, next. <laughs> you know, and it's like, so that didn't work. So I started researching and trying to figure out what caused his, um, his ALS. That's what he had, Lou Gehrig's disease. And you had no, and you had no medical training. You just decided to, what, go online uh, or go to the library and look through medical journals. What? I I just started reading every book that I possibly could get my hands on, researching online, asking people questions, going to the health food store, getting just learning and reading stuff, educating myself. And that's what I encourage people to do because we have 
the information out there. We just need to look it up and we need to educate ourselves because what we're being educated by, um, what we're, what our educators are educating us is garbage. It is half truths filled with, with, with um, pharmaceutical lies. And they want us to be on medications for the rest of our life. And the solutions that they offer us keep us sick so that we keep coming back for these medications. And I saw it in, in, their, in their approach to my dad's terminal illness. I mean, they didn't encourage us to do any research to figure out what we could do to eliminate the toxins in his body. And from what I uncovered with all my research was that mercury, the, the potent neurotoxin that's in dental amalgams, is in, you know, if you think about the proximity of mercury to our brain, and our brain is a sponge-like uh, um, sponge-like organ, and it just it soaks up all of the mercury vapors when we chew, when we have amalgams. All of that mercury is being absorbed into the brain and sent out to all throughout our ner- our, um, our, uh, our nervous system, and it causes the motor neurons and all the nerves to die off and atrophy. So that's what I uncovered with my research was that was the number one cause of ALS and, and doctors and dentists, the, the uh, American Dental Association will not, will not, uh, will not uh, confirm this. They, they deny it that that's the cause of it. But I asked so many people that had this disease and they say the same thing. My, my dad had every molar filled with this amalgam stuff. Like every, he had silver fill. He had like 18 of them. I don't even know how many, there were so many of them. And a lot of the people that, that um, I talked to you that had ALS or that knew someone that had ALS had a mouthful of amalgams as well. It's a very, very interesting coincidence. Right. And are there, are there, are there studies out there that, that have been looking for this uh, correlation between the, uh, the amalgam fillings that contain mercury and the onset of ALS? There are studies out there and I've looked them up and a lot of the time they, they try to skew the information and, Try to make it seem as if they're inconclusive, or the data is not is not uh, strong enough to come to a conclusion to to make a scientific claim that that there is a direct link to, from uh, uh, mercury to the um, to the right. well, neurological diseases that right, it can cause. Because in order to do that, you need very expensive, long term. Uh, exactly. double-blind studies, the sort of the gold exactly. standard, and, and those are expensive to do. So the best you're saying that we have are studies that seem to point not to causation necessarily, but to, to correlation. Uh, exactly. Okay, so after discovering this possible link between amalgam fillings and ALS, then what did you attempt to do? De- sort of detoxify your father? Or tell me about the, the regimen that you put him on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The first thing I said was, we got to get this toxic crap out of your mouth. He went to, um, I was going to a holistic dentist at the time, which actually was who, um, through their, their treatments, I reversed my gum disease naturally without surgery. I, he went to the dentist and got them all removed and replaced with, with composite fillings, which are the plastic resin. And I noticed a significant halt in the progression of his disease when he, after he had them all removed, it was crazy. Like he, for like a year or two, his mobility, he regained some mobility, his muscle atrophy stopped. And it's crazy because they, like it's, it was just that simple that that 
that alone caused that kind of halt in his disease for that period of time. Right, right. And that was the first thing I did. And I suggested to him. And then we, I looked at the food and I, took out, I looked at all the products in the cabinets and in the fridge. And we just basically did a complete overhaul, get all the chemicals out, get you know, all natural and organic foods in, replaced with all good stuff. And was he, comp- and was also, he compliant in all this or did he fight you a little bit? He said, let's do anything and everything. I trust your research. I trust what you're up to. I trust your, the path, the holistic healing path that you're on. Because this was already after my health journey of losing all this weight and overcoming obesity and, um, and gum disease and high, and high blood pressure and sleep apnea. Right. So he trusted my experience being in the holistic health field. So he said, I will try anything. I, am, I have this terminal illness. I want to either halt the progression of it or reverse it. So I said, okay, well, let's get all the chemicals out of the food, get all the amalgams out, the chemicals out. And then, then we took it even further and got the chemicals out of the cleaning products, chemicals out of the uh, personal care products. You know, I started making our own cleaners. I make my own cleaner with three ingredients, essential oil, water, and castile soap. There you go. And, there I, you go. Yeah, and, and I encourage people, I make my own deodorant, my own toothpaste, my own mouthwash with edible ingredients. And I encourage people to do the same thing because there is so much crap. There is so much chemicals in our, our personal care products and even just, the so-called natural ones. Let me just remind uh, listeners that Michael Tamez is on the, uh, the, the program, The Conspiracy Show, with Richard Serrett, uh, the author of Transformative Nutrition, the ultimate guide to healthy and balanced living. Uh, he underwent quite a, a remarkable health transformation himself. He lost 105 pounds. Uh, I guess over, well, the bulk of it over, bulk, <laughs> excuse the pun, but over 70, uh, <laughs> over uh, 11 months, 70 pounds over 11 months. And then um, over the, the next decade and a bit, uh, really turned things around uh, permanently, including reversing, uh, um, lowered his blood pressure, reversed sleep apnea, and advanced gum disease, and uh, has been telling us about his holistic approach to dealing with uh, his father's ALS, his father diagnosed with ALS, given a couple of years to live, and ended up uh, living how long? Did you say 10, 10 more years or seven more years? He outlived his diagnosis by, by uh, seven years. They gave him two to three. He lived, he lived uh, seven years past that. So he lived 10 total with, at the, at the right. point of, of the first signs of the disease. Okay, we're, we're coming up on a break here in about a minute. But so um, after you had sort of detoxified your father, I mean, how, f- how far back did he come? Was he, did he get back his, his mobility and his strength for a period? Or did you sort of plateau at a certain point? He sort of plateaued. I mean, it didn't progress any, any further with for like the year and a half time period. But it's that alone is all of the personal re, of the personal trial of the personal, you know, uh, studies that I need to confirm that uh, that mercury is definitely toxic to our brain and our nervous system. Right, right. And and um, so for about one or two years, he regained or he, he sort of plateaued or he, he it didn't progress. The disease didn't progress. And then what right. happened? Did he sort of slowly go down from there? Or? It slowly went again. And, you know, it's unfortunately we don't we don't uh, we're not aware of a, of a cure to the disease. But there's we, you know, we're so focused with our allopathic approach in the Western world with with. Uh, Awareness, awareness about everything, but you know we're not really looking at prevention. No, that's for sure. It's the it's not the healthcare uh, system. It is the 
a disease care system. Michael yeah, Tamez is with us. Exactly. We'll uh, take a time out, come back, and continue to discuss his remarkable health transformation. And uh, his book is uh, entitled, once again, Transformative Nutrition, The Ultimate Guide to Healthy and Balanced Living. Back with more of our conversation right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Peering into the shadows where the truth often hides. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. PIN numbers, passcodes, social insurance numbers. If they make you wonder how private they are, here's two more numbers. 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. We are back with Michael Tamez and the book, once again, Transformative Nutrition, The Ultimate Guide to Healthy and Balanced Living. And the website is transformative-nutrition.com, transformative-nutrition.com. So I mentioned you you had lost uh, five family members in 18 months, and it was your father's diagnosis uh, of of ALS that really, um, I guess, cemented your you know, your trajectory in terms of wanting to explore holistic medicine or holistic uh, health. Uh, what else happened? Who, who else did you lose during this time, Michael? During that time, my grandfather, who actually had Alzheimer's disease, and that's another neurological disease as well. And he he was in the hospital, actually. He was not doing too well shortly after my dad passed away. And he actually passed away about nine months after my dad passed away. So he was about 82 years old, 80, 80, actually 83. So that actually caused a lot of uh, pain and grief in my uncle. And these are all, these are all my uncle, my grandfather, my dad. These are all on the same side of the family. Right. My uncle was in and out of the hospital. He had heart issues. And he had a stroke and was and went in the hospital and he was in and out of ICU for several months. During this time, my other uncle, who unfortunately struggled with an alcohol problem, hit the bottle really hard after losing his father and his his brother and his father and now his his um, other brother was in the hospital at the time. So he hit the bottle really hard and end up ended up dying at 60 years old from alcohol poisoning mm. during during all these deaths. So that was the uh, third person to pass away. And then my other uncle that was in and out of ICU from after having that stroke, he died a couple months after my uh, my uncle with the alcohol problem died. So those four people on my, my, my dad, my grandfather, and my two uncles passed away within 13 months of each other. And that really was just another like low blow in my life. It was like, are you, is this like some kind of cosmic joke right now? I just... I couldn't believe like I that I that I would experience all of that loss on that on that level. And it actually had me really take a deep look at my life, every area of my life and see where I'm being too serious because after after losing all those people, I I just stopped taking life so seriously and 
really started living for the day, you know, for the moment, because you never know what's going to happen. You never know. You, you just got to love everyone around you and love your life because that's just, they could be gone or you could be gone the next day. You know, you're not promised the next day. You're promised the moment of now and that's all. So that's one big lesson that I learned from all the, all those family deaths. Right. Right. Um, and then what sort of, um, I mean, you sort of eschew dieting. You, you talk about, you know, stop dieting and start living. Uh, in fact, it reminds me of I, my wife collects buttons, and I was, uh, I was in San Jose, California recently, and I went into this place, and they were selling these great buttons, and one of them said, um, stop, you know, stop talking to me about your salad and, uh, you know, no, no, stop talking to me about your diet and just eat your salad and be sad. <laughs> <laughs> It's true. People that are dieting are just, they, they're miserable, aren't they? So yeah, we got to stop dieting and, and uh, start living, but you know, it's a lifestyle. You got to eat, you just got to eat healthy and then you can eat, if you eat good food, you can eat lots, you know, if you enjoy it. But what, what, um, what sort of changes after you lost, you know, the four family members in, in 13 months, what, what changes did you immediately make to your, to your, uh, your lifestyle? Let's start with, with nutrition. Well, with nutrition, I, because of those losses, I actually fell into a very deep state and depressive pattern. And I picked up some unhealthy habits during that time. Some of them, some of the unhealthy habits I picked up were, where I, I started smoking and eating just crap again. And that lasted for about a year. But I, I like to look at it as I'd rather do that for a year than hold on to the grief for the rest of my life. Because a lot of people do that. And that's what I find with my health coaching, that this type of unprocessed trauma in our life can really attach itself to our mental emotional state and hold us down, literally weigh our physical body down and cause us to, to gain weight. That's what happened to me. I gained weight from that relationship I, I was talking about earlier in the interview from when I was in my early teens, I gained all that weight, not because I was, you know, not because it was a physical issue, but because I was stuffing my face because I was sad and angry. Right. That's what we do a lot of the time. Right. And, and, you know, I just, I started making sure that I was listening to my body and feeding it what it wants because we have this innate ability. We're born with the ability to doctor ourselves. I firmly believe that. Oh, it's and a miraculous I, machine. It is a miraculous is. machine. Yeah. If, if left if alone. Just, yeah. Exactly. If we just give it the opportunity, it will heal itself and it will communicate what it needs and what doesn't work. For example, I mean, we, we eat, sometimes we eat food and then we are lethargic or feel like crap after. That's a prime example of our body's communication saying, hey, this whatever you ate just now doesn't work. And we need to reformulate and rethink what we're feeding our body. And I started listening to these, to these communications and formulated my own diet plan. And that's what my book is all about is empowering people to throw the diet books away and, and create your own diet based on your body's exclusive wants and needs, because your body knows you best, not a doctor, not a person in a, not, not a person in a white lab coat, not a nutritionist, not a health coach, not a personal trainer, but you, every single person knows their body best. Right. So you're not and pushing like a, you're not pushing a, a vegan or a, 
a, a protein, you know, eat like a caveman or, or uh, you know, there's all <laughs> these different, all this stuff right, you're, you're just, yeah. listen to your body and eat. Uh, so, I mean, what do you think a healthy, a healthy diet consists of? Well, that's a 7 billion question because there's 7 billion people on the planet. Right. And I'll tell you what, there are 7 billion different answers because everybody's answer, everybody's body is going to be exclusive and 100% unique from one person to the next. Right. But there are things, obviously, or I would imagine you would, you would suggest everyone stay away from. And, 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 um, oh, yeah, definitely. And, and so I'm looking for some of those things. What should we stay away from? Definitely stay away from any processed foods. So if it has an ingredient label to begin with, you probably shouldn't be eating it because, you know, that's where it's processed. I, I recommend people sticking with the actual ingredients, such as your produce or your meats or, you know what I'm saying, right. stuff that is, is the, the ingredient. That's the first thing. That's a big thing because we are obsessed with processed foods and frozen foods. You know why? Because, foods. because nobody knows how to cook anymore. We right. want, we want prefab. You go down, there are entire aisles now in the grocery store that are dedicated uh, to, uh, not only is it, is it, you know, we have pre-cooked, it's, some of it's even pre-digested. You have all of these uh, drinks that are, that are uh, I, I won't name any of them, but it's, it's almost mm. like it's been pre-digested. Uh, people, we, I mean, it's become a badge of honor for certain people to say, oh, I never go in the kitchen. I, I never use the oven. I don't know how to cook. That's part of the problem. People don't know how to shop. They don't know how to shop for food, and they don't know how to cook it once they get it home. Yes, I see that. That's a big problem in the United States, in the Western world. We have an obesity epidemic, and it's actually due to exactly what you said. I mean, we have been we have a dysfunctional relationship to food. Yeah, and that was created by. All the fast food marketing, all the media, all the propaganda that they feed us, we bought it and we ate it and we're still, we're suffering from it now. And not only are, and, do we have an obesity problem, but you see people, they're, they're obese, but they're, it's almost like they're obese, but they're starving to death because they're obese, but there's no nutrition. Mm -hmm. There's no nutritional value in what they're, what they're putting in their mouths. So they're, they, they are, they're starving to death. You could see someone that's 40, 50, 60 pounds obese, overweight. And they're malnourished because exactly what you said. They're not getting the nutrients they need. They're not getting the micronutrients, macronutrients. They're not getting any nutritional value from the food because it's dead food. It's processed. It's, it's fried, deep fried, chemically altered, genetically modified, hormone, antibiotic filled crap, stuff that's not even, it's, it, it resembles food, but it's really not food. It, it's more like, almost like, plastic. Well, how do you shop? Because I, I'd be curious to know, for example, where you get your, your produce, because a lot of it now, of course, is factory farmed and, uh, uh yeah. and, and, and it has, and it's, it's picked unripened and then it's gassed mm -hmm. in a truck so that it ripens artificially. Uh, by the time you get it, uh, I mean, it's like, it's like cardboard. It, there's, you know, the first time I tasted a tomato in, uh, a, a real tomato, I was vacationing in Greece and I bit into a tomato, and I, oh, that's what they taste like. Because the stuff that you buy in the produce over the produce you buy here, it's devoid of, of any nutritional value. So how do you shop? Oh, I know tomatoes, especially. I, it's, they're awful. They're like pink. They look pale. They look sickly. <laughs> yes. And even some of the organic grocery stores are selling 
organic produce from like Chile or all over the world, they're flown in. Like you said, they're gassed and flown in, unripened, and they sit there and they're nasty. This is why I encourage people to grow your own. If you can do it, do it because it is rewarding. You just, you can pick fresh from your garden. You can even container garden if you live in a tight space in an apartment and it works. I mean, you can grow stuff that doesn't need pollination. You can grow that year round in pots inside. Right. That is my number one uh, suggestion is to grow your own because then you can get heirloom seeds. You can get certified non-GMO organic seeds and you can be sure that there's not going to be any pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, or any stuff being used in your st- your crop because you're growing it yourself. If you if you can't grow your own, I highly recommend visiting your local local organic farmer and getting it directly from the farm itself because then you could take a tour of the farm and make sure that they're in they're um, they're operating with integrity and not using chemicals and not spraying and they're rotating crops because that's what we do is we rotate crops to make sure that we're getting we're um, we're getting recycling the nutrients so our soil is not depleted and right. you know local organic farmers grow with nature they grow with the earth and not against it so that's that that would be my next suggestion and if you can't go to the local farm then go to your local farmers market every week i mean every right. town has a, a farmers market every week i mean there's solutions to not have to go to these big box grocery stores that are selling garbage even the or so-called organic stuff is looks terrible nowadays Right, right. You know, we have to get back to that. It's become too convenient just to um, to go to the Quickie Mart, rip open a box, and stick something in the microwave. And, uh, you know, it's like, honey, I've been home for two minutes already. Where's dinner? Yeah. It's too right. easy. It's too easy. Uh, a healthy, we have to recognize that healthy living, it takes effort. But it's, you know, you, you look at your children, what, what are you going to put in their mouths? It's worth the effort. Definitely, especially with children, because if you think about it, their bodies are growing, their brain is developing, their bones are growing. You don't want to feed your child unknown. If you can't pronounce it, you shouldn't be eating it. That's if, a good rule. If you yeah. don't, yeah, if, that's, if you're going to eat something that's, that has ingredients to begin with, make sure that you can pronounce every ingredient and that you know what every ingredient is because right. food manufacturers can legally market their products as all natural and then have blanket ingredients such as natural flavors, quote, or natural color, um, organic spices or spices. These are not actual ingredients. These are questionable blanket statements that they can disguise whatever chemical they want right. legally. And what about, you know what uh, I mean? we're coming up on a break again here, Michael, but uh, what, what about uh, meat? Uh, for example, at our house, my wife and I, I mean, why do we work? Why do we work to make money to buy good food for our mm-hmm. children? We spend the extra money on cuts of meat, meat that's, again, hormone-free. Uh, yes, it's more expensive. We give them the good stuff. You know, it's too late for my wife and I. I mean, we don't worry so much about, you know, the hormones and some of that stuff. That, uh, but for them, I mean, they get the best, and that's why we work, yeah. right? Yeah, definitely. And the meat, again, I re- recommend getting grass-fed, organic, hormone, antibiotic-free locally if possible i mean there, there's cattle ranchers all over you just go dr- take a drive out to the country or again visit your farmer's market and there's 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 meat vendors at farmer's markets exactly. too. and then you, you you know you can find this organic grass-fed pasture-raised meat that's it's right really it's, it's 
going to cost you a little bit more, but it's worth the investment in your exactly. health. Exactly. And if you can't find it, what you do is you, you gently and politely harangue the manager at the grocery store because consumers have the yeah. power. You've got exactly. the power. My wife is constantly complaining, where is the Ontario-grown potatoes? Where are the Ontario-grown this or that? She's always in their face. God love her. Michael Tamez is with us. The book is Transformative Nutrition. Back with more on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Fasten your seatbelt and put your tray in the upright position. You're about to leave everything you know behind on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Providing the evidence and letting you draw your own conclusions. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. Richard Serrett with you. Michael Tamez on the line, the author of Transformative Nutrition, The Ultimate Guide to Healthy and Balanced Living. Uh, you know, one of the, uh, the things that we're up against right now, as, as I see it, and you, we, you touched on this earlier, uh, when you were speaking about your father, all, who was diagnosed with ALS, and, and all that he had was kind of a grim prognosis and uh, a, a prescription for a pill that they said might extend his life by a couple of months. Uh, and, and that is, it, to me, it's the huge elephant in the room that doesn't get talked about enough, and that is the conflict of interest between the pharmaceutical companies uh, and medicine. Uh, and health practitioners, doctors, for example, doctors who get courted by pharmaceutical companies, who get flown uh, and 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 uh, checked into five-star hotels and treated like kings and queens, and then get paid a big speaking fee to speak at their pharmaceutical conference, and then they they come back to their office and they start writing prescriptions for that same drug. I mean, and that's allowed. It's allowed, and it oughtn't to. It shouldn't be. Uh, and and then you look at the. The, uh, the, the medical journals, you know, whenever, whenever we, we talk about, you know, uh, someone who claims they have a cure for this or they've got something that can alleviate that, people say, well, where are the, where are the reviews, the scientific journals? Have, has it been reviewed? But if you look at in, in these medical journals, they're, they're filled with advertising from pharmaceutical companies, almost exclusively from pharmaceutical mm-hmm. companies. Just this is to me... One of the big problems I have with with Western medicine, it's, it's the conflict of interest and and the power of the pharmaceutical companies. I mean, I think I think Washington D.C., for example, is just is bought and paid for. It's the most powerful lobby group going. The pharmaceuticals. Oh yeah, these lobbyists. They, like you were saying, the pharmaceutical reps wine and dine the doctors in exchange for them selling their their legal drugs. As a patient, when you go to a doctor's office, a Western medicine allopathic doctor's office, I want—I would like listeners to think about the last time they were in a doctor's office. How long were you able to speak before the doctor cut you off and wanted to write your prescription? Didn't even, doesn't even know anything about what is going on in your life. No concept. They just, okay, you got this symptom, this symptom, here you go. Next. That's basically what our healthcare system has come to, is the doctor thinking, what drug can I give this patient to alleviate their symptoms? Now, that to me is not a sustainable solution to the healthcare problems that we face as a society. We have 
an obesity epidemic. And because of the obesity epidemic, we have diabetes, heart disease, cancer, and all this other lifestyle-related reversible conditions that we're taking medication for that if we just started living a healthier lifestyle, we can possibly reverse. This is, our doctors, are they don't have the time to educate their patients. I don't even think they have the desire to educate the patients because they're making so much money with the, with the pharmaceuticals. This is why I do what I do. I, I do health coaching because it is a tier of healthcare providers that doesn't require any medical schooling, but instead require, uh, um, it, it, it requires a certification program, which in my certification program to become a health coach, I learned about all kinds of different modalities. And I learned about how to actually have a conversation with my clients and, and understand what's going on underneath their symptom. And this is the problem. This is the underlying problem with our healthcare system is doctors are not having these meaningful conversations with their, with their patients and finding out, okay, you're, you're having this symptom because of what's, what's going on here. So asking questions like how's, how's your relationship with your spouse or sure. are you happy at your job? Patient are history. You... The patient history yeah, used to be exactly. a, the, one of the most valuable tools for a doctor was the patient history. You sit, as you say, and listen what's going on in that patient's and and i I we should point out it's not entirely the doctor's fault they don't have time to do this i mean they have crushing overhead costs uh here in ontario uh you know they're they're um they're really getting a hard time from from the provincial government in terms of of um uh of fees uh, that that they 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 charge uh through the uh through ohip which is our our health care provincially provided health care system um so I, I don't I can't I don't want to lay all the the, the blame at a doctor's feet, but um, certainly the the patient history is is something that has gone by the boards regrettably, uh, because as you say, mm-hmm. yeah. who knows a, a a person's body better than the person themselves? Not a not not a uh, not a doctor. Anyway, go ahead. I kind of no. I you. I think I think it's all connected. I think the pharmaceutical industry is connected with the the media and the fast food industry. I think it's all designed, perfectly designed to the fast food companies to get people sick, obese and sick, so they can come for medication to cover up the symptoms from eating the fast food. And then those medications are causing side effects. And then the doctors are prescribing more medication to counteract the side effects from the original medication. And by the time you know it, the person is a legal drug addict and has a bag of pills because of the fast food diet that they incorporated from listening to the media, all the TV that they watch, all the programming that they've been downloaded with to, to go and buy the fast food and to go buy the latest car and to go buy the latest smartphone and to go buy, go drink the, the uh, light. It is. It's a vicious circle. Michael, I got to jump in here. We'll take a time out back with Michael Tamez, Transformative Nutrition, right here on The Conspiracy Show. The owners of the system are asleep. Now we can play. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Take a look around. What do you really see? This is where you can tell all about it. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. 
We are back with Michael Tamez, who has had quite a remarkable a transformative journey, lost 105 pounds, lowered his blood pressure, reversed sleep apnea, advanced gum disease, all accomplished naturally without drugs uh, or surgery. He's a health coach, a wellness author, a motivational speaker, and uh, his website is, uh, well, there's michaeltamez.com, Michael, T-A-M-E-Z.com. Uh, and the other website I mentioned, uh, it's transformative-nutrition.com, is that correct? Yeah, I, I actually am going by michaeltamez.com more these days just because I'm trying to get my, my name out there and what I do more more known. All right. So michaeltamez.com would be the, be the one. Good. And let me spell the last name again. It's T-A-M-E-Z. All right. So um, obviously nutrition is, is a huge a huge part of, of healthy living. What do you make of uh, uh, people who eat raw? And this is... Um, you know, raw fruits and vegetables. That's all they eat. I mean, a lot of people, they swear by that. You know, I, I think raw fruits and veggies are amazing for cleansing and they work for some people all the time. And some people have sensitive immune systems that can't digest and break down the fibers in some of the cruciferous vegetables. And it tears their, their digestive system apart. So in short, in reality, I don't think that raw can work for everyone on the planet. And, and for some people, it does work. I mean, if you look at food as medicine, food can be healing and medicinal to one person's body, but that same food can be, can be harming and disease-causing for another person's body. It really all depends. There's so many different factors to look at. You know, there, there's, there's ancestral background. There's our, our organs are different. The way we digest and assimilate foods is different. The way we process emotions, the way we process anger and, and, and joy and sadness and grief and, and happiness, these are all going to slow digestion or, or increase digestion. So all this stuff is different in each person. And this can also evolve over time. Someone that might not be able to digest raw foods now may be able to digest raw foods and five years from now because they've processed some of the emotions that they've been dealing with. So to answer that question, it's basically comes back to the stop dieting and start living. Listen to your body. If your body likes the raw foods, if it feels great, awesome. Keep eating them. Wonderful. But if you notice that your digestion is messed up or your, you know, your, your uh, elimination patterns are, 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 um, are, you know, out of whack, right. Yeah, out of whack from eating the raw foods, which I've experienced personally and also with some clients, then you might have to lay off the raw foods a little bit. So it all has to do with listening to your body and, and knowing what works exclusively for your body. Right, right. Um, I noticed there was a, there's a, on your website, there's a, um, a little sign. It says, there is no Wi-Fi in the forest, but we promise you'll find a better connection. <laughs> Uh, and then yes. <laughs> underneath that, you have a microwaved brains served daily at your local Wi-Fi hotspot. Yes. So I'm, ge- I'm gathering you're not, a, a, a big fan of microwave ovens, or B, uh, Wi-Fi. <laughs> I threw my microwave away 15 years ago and never, never replaced it. And my wife is the same. She, she hasn't had a microwave for about, about the same time. And it's really cool that we, we resonate with that. Basically, um, wireless. So, so to, to make this really simple and not sounding um, technical, 
our wireless communications that you know we have everywhere wi-fi bluetooth cellular communications these all are operating at super super high frequencies and they're in the mega and gigahertz range now this 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 hurts we've been using you know um transmission uh frequencies many many years all the way back to am fm radio even before that you know cb ham all this stuff but those were using, you know, kilohertz and very low megahertz. Now, when you look at what we're using now, we're in we're we're in like the 5.8 gigahertz. I think they even have higher than that. Gigahertz is basically what uh, 5.8 billion cycles per second. So think about how fast that is compared to like an AM station, like 740 AM. That's that's vibrating at 740,000 hertz per second. 740,000 compared to 5.8 billion is a massive difference. Right, right. When you when you get into the when you get into the gigahertz frequencies, that is considered microwave frequency. So basically what we're doing when, our, when we're putting our phone to our brain, when we have Wi-Fi on when we're trying to sleep, we're irradiating our brain the whole night. When we sleep with our phone next to our bedstand and use it as an alarm clock, we are irradiating our brain. Our brain when we're sleeping goes into a meditative state and it shuts down into a state that that is very susceptible to any electromagnetic disturbances and these high frequencies definitely can cause issues and what i recommend to people is try going try detoxing from wireless for a couple weeks turn off your wi-fi when you go to sleep don't sleep with your phone by your head um turn off all wireless devices and see if you sleep better see if you have less nightmares or have you know see if your, your sleeping patterns are are improved because a lot of the time a lot of my clients have, in, have experienced differences when they sleep with the Wi-Fi and all the wireless off compared to when they don't. And when they reintroduce it, they notice that they start having weird dreams and they start getting, you know, restless sleep. It's a very interesting, interesting concept. And it's one of the, the topics that I really like to talk about because I don't think we're a lot of people are very unaware of of the electromagnetic frequencies and how they can affect our brain and there's no long-term studies like we have just recently been you know we have this explosion of, of smartphones all over the place and we don't know the long-term effects of of this microwave radiation yet and it's kind of scary when you think about it and and we're not told i don't think we're told the full truth on on the possible health risks of all this wireless technology that we have everywhere. Well, again, uh, what, do you, what do you need is a, uh, a long-term uh, double-blind study. How do you do a double-blind study when everybody has a cell phone? I mean, you'd have to, exactly. you'd have to test. <laughs> it's, it's, and you, we may not know the truth for 50 years, and then maybe, who knows, we could be faced with a brain cancer epidemic, and then we'll be scratching our heads saying, well, where is this coming from? Right. Well, I just, I'm very... I just wanted to say I'm very scared that women are putting their phones in their bras and men phones in their pockets. I'm scared about the breast and testicular cancer rates skyrocketing. And I actually I'm starting to see that happening. And I think it's because of that fact right there. Men carrying their phone on their belt or in their pocket and women carrying it on their bra. I, I highly recommend that that listeners stop doing that if they do, because even if there is a possibility of and I'll leave that up to listeners to, to make an informed decision about that, about this topic. I like to present information in a non-biased way, and the research I've, I've uncovered points to the fact that we don't truly know, so it's better to take precaution and be safe. Right, although uh, it's pretty hard to avoid. I mean, even if you 
you uh, swear off uh, Wi-Fi and uh, use the hands-free with your cell phone. I mean, you walk outside, you're never any more than a couple hundred meters from a cell phone tower. I mean, we are swimming in this uh, this electronic smog. Uh, I don't know at this point what can be done about it. That's why I say the best thing is to make your sleeping space as sacred and as as chilled out as possible. So if you can remove it from your bedroom, at least you're not, you know, you don't have that close to your brain. As you know, you don't have your alarm clock or your phone or your Wi-Fi going on. That that that's that's what we can do. I mean, you can you can even you can build a Faraday cage around your bedroom if you want to, but some people go to that extreme. But I'm not I'm not suggesting that. All right, so. Um... Aside from the nutrition, I know obviously uh, uh, fitness is important. Uh, you know, you, you kind of address all of the, the various aspects of our well-being, spiritual, emotional, physical. Uh, uh, there's a, um, a photograph. I'm not sure if that's you on, on the website uh, uh, participating in some hot yoga. The mighty Aphrodite, my bride, is, is uh, heavily into hot yoga. Is, is that mm-hmm. your thing, as they say, your thing, hot yoga? Yeah, I love it. I, I it's in, it's in, it's improved my flexibility. It's really helped me to to get some deep stretching in, and it gets me present basically. And I've actually through practicing it, you have to be you have to be present, and you have to live, you have to actually experience stillness because when you get into your head and you start you know wandering, you can't do the poses correctly, and you fall out. So you have to get into this space of complete presence, and it's really powerful at doing that. And and on top of it, you're sweating and you're eliminating toxins like crazy. I mean, I can sometimes I can I can smell stuff coming out of my pores, you know, from the night before. Like if I if I have a few beers the night before, I can smell it coming out of my pores. Right. It's right. crazy. It, it's it's really crazy how it's detoxing. I call it one of the modern day fountains of youth. It's it's pretty hard though to to uh, for me. Uh, I mean, I'm someone who doesn't even enjoy a really hot shower because I can't stand the heat. So hot yoga, not for me. Not the most flexible person. For me, I you know I do my push-ups and I run when I can. Mm-hmm. Probably, probably not enough, but uh, it's a start. Yeah, it's definitely not for everyone. It's 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 yeah. It's intense. I mean, I I encourage people to to experiment with yoga. If hot yoga, you know, if that if it seems way too overwhelming, you, there's so many. There's other gent, really gentler. There's gentler classes that you can try. You know, there's there's even like Pilates that you can do to tone your core, or you can even just stick with good old fashioned walking because that's one of the best exercises that there is out there, and it doesn't cost any money. You don't have to take a class or join a gym. You could just walk around your neighborhood after dinner every night, and you can keep your lymphatic system fluid, uh, lymphatic fluid circulating, your blood circulating, and you can burn calories and cost you nothing. Right. Uh, stress, obviously, is a killer. Uh, I mean, I believe, I, I think I'm pretty sure there are studies that show, you know, that stress leads to disease. Uh, mm-hmm. So stress can kill. So we need certain amounts of stress in our lives. But I mean, how do you deal with stress for many people these days with the economy the way it is uh, can be crushing. It can be absolutely crushing dealing with loads of debt, uh, and and um, you know that manifests itself with in, in relationships. Relationships turn sour. I mean, money really is the root of all evil, right? When you don't have it, things go south. <laughs> things can go south in a hurry. How do you manage? Someone comes to you and say, "I am dealing with crushing stress. 
nothing is going right in my life. I can't worry about exercising right now because the roof is caving in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, stress is everywhere. I mean, we're bombarded with stress, stressful situations. What I like to tell people is to find something that you can disconnect from life for a little while, whether it's meditation, yoga, uh, praying, maybe um, even going to the gym and working out or going for a jog. I mean, these are all ways to, to dissipate some of that stress. And finding something that you can release is very important because that stress will start taking a toll on the body. And cause all kinds of health problems. So for me personally, I, I use meditation. It's incredibly effective at not eliminating it because I mean, it's just, we're bombarded by it, but significantly reducing my level of stress it is a very powerful tool for, for, for that. And I meditate, you know, anywhere from 10 to 25 minutes and it's very powerful and it really doesn't take much commitment to do that. You know, five, 10 minutes a day. Very quickly, Michael, tell us about uh, your newsletter. How do people get a hold of that? Newsletter is the best way to find it is on my website, which is michaeltemez.com. And I have uh, all the articles I write are 100% written, organically written by me. I don't hire ghostwriters or have guest blog posters. I take pride in everything I write and make sure that it's all original content. And I have, um, sometimes I have a free free giveaways there. I have uh, recipe ideas and I have a lot of cool stuff going on there. And I, I, I release a lot of my podcast interviews on my, um, my uh, newsletter as well. And they're exclusive to some of the subscribers. So again, that's michaeltemez.com to check out my newsletter. Excellent. michaeltemez.com, the website. Thank you so much. I enjoyed our conversation, Michael. Good to meet you. Likewise, Richard. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right. Bye-bye. Strangeplanet.ca, the website. Say hello on Twitter, at Richard Serrett, S-Y, because I love you, R-E-T-T. In the meantime, follow the truth. listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. 
Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Thanks for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck, your taxi, your parents' basement, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Good to have you with us, and I thank you for your fine company. A special hello to all of you listening in on our flagship station, Zoomer Radio, here in the Liberty Village of Toronto, Canada. All of those listening in on one of our affiliates, and I think we're up to about 35 now and still growing on both sides of the 49th. And all of you, of course, catching the podcast at Stitcher Radio, TuneIn.com, iTunes, and TalkZone.com. Those of you who catch us on the uh, the YouTube live stream or the HOA, the, the Hangout on Air, as we call it. And, of course, uh, those who, t- who take the show with you on the, uh, the apps, the, uh, the Zoomer Radio app and the Conspiracy Show app that are both uh, free downloads from Google Play and uh, iTunes. Uh, in just a few moments, uh, we're going to speak with the original whistleblower and eyewitness experiencer of the uh, infamous Rendlesham Forest uh, UFO event, sometimes referred to as Britain's Roswell, and uh, he's Larry Warren, the co-author of the fascinating book Left at East Gate, a first-hand account of the Rendlesham Forest UFO incident, its cover-up and investigation. I met Larry, we were doing a season two of the TV show, and uh, we went over to England and we did a bunch of episodes, including Rendlesham Forest, and uh, we met uh, Larry in, in London. He took the train down, very gracious a uh, man took the train down from Liverpool, uh, and we drove down to Rendlesham in the south of England and uh, spent most of the day shooting, and uh, so this is kind of a, a reunion, and we'll get to Larry in just a moment. Speaking of the TV show, just a reminder, season four, winding down the season finale, uh, is Monday night, 9 p.m. Eastern across Canada on Vision TV, and uh, I'm trying to do the math. It seems like I've been filming this show forever, starting in 2010, yet we're only on season four. How does that work? It's all done with mirrors, I guess. Anyway, uh, season four, Vision TV, Monday, 9 p.m. Eastern. Make sure you catch the season finale. And uh, those of you listening in from the United States, uh, seasons one through three available on Hulu and uh, also Amazon.com. And uh, one more quick item, uh, just uh, get on up to the website, strangeplanet.ca, and we've got a couple of live events coming your way, one in October with our good friend R. Gary Patterson, uh, author of Take a a Walk on the Dark Side, Rock and Roll Myths, Legends, and Curses. That's coming up on the 15th of October. 
Just click on uh, more info and you can buy per, uh, tickets right there online. And uh, just before that, though, September 11th, fast approaching, of course, the anniversary of 9-11, Dr. Judy Wood uh, will be our featured speaker. And uh, that is, Where Did the Towers Go? Evidence of Free Directed Energy Technology uh, on 9-11. Again, that's at the J.J.R. McLeod Auditorium. And uh, speaking of the J.J.R., uh, McLeod Auditorium, which is uh, right here in Toronto, beautiful facility. Uh, we have the debut, uh, the debut Canadian lecture appearance of the original whistleblower, eyewitness experiencer of Rendlesham, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Larry Warren. And um, that is happening Sunday, the 21st of August, from 1 to 4 p.m. Again, Sunday, August the 21st, 1 to 4 p.m., the J.J.R. McLeod Auditorium, that's the Medical Sciences Building, One King's College Circle, and uh, if you want to get tickets for that, uh, just go to earthmysteries.com, earthmysteries.com. And uh, having said that, let's usher in the co-author, the original whistleblower, left at Eastgate, a first-hand account of the Rendlesham Forest UFO incident, Larry Warren. Good to speak with you again. How are you? Good to hook up with you, Richard. It's been a while. Again. Yes. It's been a while, man. Larry, it's been uh, closing in on the 36th anniversary, of course, uh, just before yeah. Christmas, December 1980. Uh, do, you ever get, do you ever get tired? Uh, do you want to, any part of you want to put it behind you for good, the Rendlesham Forest uh, incident? I mean, you were the original whistleblower. I am the whistleblower. There's, you know, I got, uh, you know, just sum it up. I got the Holt memo out with help. And it just happened that way. And I got the whole audio tape into America because people in England were trying to sell everything. And, you know, and I, mean, I, I served with these guys, you know, so to me, it was my brothers. I mean, but this thing just, uh, Richard, uh, there was no plan other than I can remember Adrian Bastin's and everyone knows his name, is that in 81 in March, we were in his uh, dorm. He was not in the same building as myself two buildings away, and we, his, his friend, at that time Cindy Schultz, you know, said Buzz wants to see her, Busty, I knew him as. Well, we should mention that, that Adrian was a sergeant. He was a security police commander, and, and, yeah, and uh, yeah. he, he investigated the incident at the time. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, but he, he got burned real bad, you know. And so, and, you know, and I was with Adrian. I was kind of new flight. It's like you hear about, uh, you always hear about Penniston and Burroughs, but people forget that Eddie Cabanasack was there. Mm. And, you know, Holt spent, you know, Colonel Holt, he was our deputy base commander. He was a nice guy back there. I got to say, I'm not going to trash him like he does me. But, uh, and uh, Eddie Cabanasack and I went through training together, we went through our leave together at the same time. We got in the base and we got on our flights together. And he went through the night one, but he was on a different flight. Well, I, I was—I was just going to ask you about you know if you were sort of if you ever get tired of talking about it, but let's um, let, let's just go right to the let's you go never to that. Get away from it. No, brother. you can't. You just you can't. You just won't. No. Oh, but, no. but and that's okay. Okay, so then for those not overly familiar or too familiar with the story, take us back to late December 1980 and and uh, first sort of yeah. set the scene. Rendlesham Forest, Suffolk, England. Why are you there? I mean, tell us about. Uh, the uh, you know the RAF and the U.S. Joint uh, well, Air Force. Well, I was I was in the U.S. Air Force, and I joined up in '79 because of. Have you ever saw the movie Argo? Mm -hmm. 
And uh, I think it was the only good movie. What's the, the tall guy from Boston? I forget. Ben Affleck. Name, but... Ben Affleck. Yeah, yeah. I got to tell you what. I've never could take him serious in anything until I watched that film. And I said, my God. And that whole thing with the hostage situation, you know, a lot of people are young now and don't remember it. But that began 400 plus days. Of, and I, I know what they did to them because I was security when they came back to Germany. Uh, when they were released, so that that was my spark to enlist, and I I knew the Navy wasn't going to work out for me because uh, I get seasick, and um, so I went in the Air Force, and I went I went in the security forces, which they back then they called security security specialists, and then there was like Burroughs with law enforcement, it was like a kappa, a police busy you know on the beat. We were combatants. We we had all the big guns, and we protected the assets, and we were trained to keep an eye out for a Spitznat, Alpha Team Spitznats, and all that to come in. You know, and we were trained very well. So, you know, unfortunately, when you get in the UFO thing, you know, people have never served an inch. You know, try to you know because they hate UFOs and or whatever that threatens them in the world because they haven't lived any of it is that, uh, unfortunately, um, you know, we, we were trained killers, and we were trained to kill. I mean, that was what we were there to do, protect assets. Someone tried to take or harm them, we kill them. Right. Or they kill us. I mean, that's the military. It's, you know, we weren't young airmen. We were very different people than, you know, from the day we enlisted, you know, went to basic training to after we got out of our, um, you know, in, into our AFSCs, which was our job. And so you had the and, you had the um, you had the RAF um, uh, base at Woodbridge, and you yeah, had well, the we U.S. Did, we had that base since World War II, right? And it was a, it was a Royal Air Force Bentwaters and right. Royal Air Force Woodbridge, and it was a twin base complex. Uh, very quickly, for time, we had uh, a back housing of tactical nuclear weapons. That is a big issue in this. I'm the only one that talks about them. That's and true. I lost my passport. That is true. I've, I've asked Peniston about Except it, and, and he would Adrian neither confirm Bastinza nor deny. Now, well, the dear Sergeant Bastinza, who lives in Texas, and my dear old friend, and he came out and said it too. And I think some of the guys on pensions that have been paid off and whatever and kind of portray an image, you know, and I'm just saying things without saying things, you know what I'm saying. Right. But uh, I think I did a radio show with my dear brother, not well. Six months ago, maybe five. I forget things at 55, how many months. But we did it, and it really – and this is the first time this cat has ever spoken. Right. And then, you know, and he's put things on paper and all that, but that don't mean much to people, you know, that people that just want to attack people, you know, on the Internet. See, I'm not from this Internet world, man. No. You know, I'm but I from, should, I, uh, we should point out, Larry, that, that this is quite a, an admission, that there were, in fact, tactical nuclear um, yeah, missiles because because Great Britain uh, was not supposed to have any on their soil, right? Well, I think the government knew it, but right, I mean, of course they did. the, the right. people didn't know right. it, Richard. And, and at that time, we had the CND, which was the in England, you know, against the nuclear weapons, which, right. you know, that's it's fair play, you know. Unfortunately, you should be telling the other people, too. And our base was a first strike option. In five, ten minutes, we were going to be glass anyway if that went off. Right. And this is and the height came... of the Cold War. The Soviets yeah. are gathering around the border with Poland because of the whole solidarity uh, movement. So tensions were incredibly high that December. 
Richard, you're getting an A on your report card. You <laughs> know your fact. Well, that is true, and that's a historical fact. Now, young people would probably not know that. They're worried about Bernie Sanders in my country or Hillary or the other fella, and but they don't know these things. You know, So there's a whole post-war history involved with this, too, that people can track and look and say, wow, I mean, this whatever went down went down at a very heavy time. And it was a very heavy time. Indeed. And so we were there. I was new. I was on post for a couple weeks, I guess. And you get on the base, and you, you get familiar with the base, and you have classroom. I remember, you know, for context with people, younger people, John Lennon was shot in New York, and I was in a classroom on Woodbridge. You know, and here we heard about it in the morning. And um, then that you know, we, we just got familiar with the twin bases, and then we were posted. Now, this is so many lifetimes ago for me, but, you know, it, I was a 19-year-old guy. and uh, But I was there for a reason. I wanted to be there. We just didn't do it for the lark. And I think a lot of people that, you know, kind of float around the Internet, you know, dealing with UFOs or make their comments without any background, without anything. And they, they don't make comments. They make pronouncements. Right. They, they are knowers of everything. You know, I, I used to tangle shoelaces with Philip Glass, man. Ooh. You know, these, you know mm-hmm. the great arch debunker from America, where right. he was a, wrote for Aviation Week magazine. Right, right. I've been in this game since 1983. I knew Alan Hynek. Right. I knew him all. There was no one like me that came in. The only other guy was Travis Walton. And Travis was quiet at that point. But yes, I knew was. about Travis since that happened to him, you know. Right. And uh, But when this happened, and I had a lifetime of weird things going on in my life. Not by choice. But it's funny enough, a lot of the witnesses to Rendlesham, and it's not just me, Burroughs, Penniston with the time travel. That's his bag. I know nothing about it. It was. T- I've, I've seen things on this Toronto gig I'm going to do. Are we getting a resolution to the, um, you know, binary code? Listen, that had that was two nights before my involvement. Only Jim talks about it. I don't know nothing about it, but he has his own sick, crazy internet people going. Hey, listen, I'm, he's a brother. In the end, we served on the same base. I knew Jim before this stuff happened. I knew him after. That's his bag. Now, I'm not going to knock any of the guys there because we've all been fighting each other, and that's what the federalities, frankly, want us to do. Right. Now, in Canada, I have never spoken in Canada, ever, man, and I'm from New York. I've never been there. I've, I've been to Canada. You know, I was in a motorcycle club. We go up there a lot. But Larry, Larry, I got to jump in here. I got to jump in here and take mm-hmm. and uh, take a break. But let me just remind you, uh, people, you're coming to Canada, Toronto, Sunday, yeah. August the twenty first, at the JJR McLeod Auditorium. This is your debut a lecture. You're going to talk about uh, Rendlesham Forest, what went down. You're the original whistleblower. Uh, you're the one that brought this to the world's attention, and uh, we will. Um, Look forward to that. It's, Again. it's not going to be a, a lecture, though. It's kind of like an evening with George Carlin and Bill Hicks' ghost <laughs> with a little Lenny Bruce thrown in. Right. And everyone can interact. And if you've got vegetables, if you don't dig what I'm doing, throw them. I don't care where it's going to be happening, man. I'm not right. a researcher. Okay. I, I've we, been in this. 
Okay, That's we got what I am, man. All right. Larry Warren stays with us. We'll take a time out, come back, and continue this uh, jazz conversation. The Conspiracy Absolutely. Show. My, my name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. In a democracy, we elect officials so we can sleep at night. So why are you up? 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. We are here with Larry Warren, the original whistleblower, eyewitness experiencer of the infamous Rendlesham Forest, RAF Bentwaters UFO event, and of course uh, the co-author along with Peter Robbins of Left at East Gate, a first-hand account of the Rendlesham Forest UFO incident, its cover-up and investigation. And uh, Larry is coming to Toronto for a happening uh, on Sunday, the 21st of uh, August, 2016, from 1 to 4 p.m. at the J.J.R. McLeod Auditorium. And uh, I guess the best thing to do uh, for information is just to go to earthmysterynews.com, earthmysterynews.com, and uh, you can get, uh, I'm assuming you can order your tickets right there. Our good friend uh, Sid Goldberg will set you up nice with a pair of ducats to see uh, Larry Warren, and I'm hoping to get there to get there myself. We don't want to give it all away because people are, uh, you know, going to pay good money to hear you uh, go on, Larry. I don't know t- why they bothered. No, 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 really. I mean, <laughs> well, you know, it's not. No, really. I mean, it costs a lot to bring my old ass anywhere. But no, I mean, but it's it's, it's really they're going to come at it in a different way. I, I'm not a. I love Richard Dolan's friend of mine. I know everybody. I knew them all. But Hopkins, you name friends. My dear co-author. Top guy, you want them, but they're researchers, right? right. I'm, I'm, I, I must have, I lived it, and uh, but uh, you know, I started out in radio, isn't that funny? And uh, but but I, I will guarantee things they've never seen relating to Rendlesham, and they will come away. They might have a certain idea. Only my view. I can't tell you how Jim Penniston feels, how John Burroughs feels, how Charles Holt feels, how. You know, any of the multiple others that are wise enough to stay the hell away. And they'll see some things that have been forgotten in time. They're very valuable. And they come away with their own view. I mean, I'm I'm not in the believe me business, Rich. No, you're from Missouri. You're show me, right? And and Well no, I know this I know something's going on and I know it exists. But I don't. I can't tell you what it is. Bentwaters. We called it in the early days. It was Bentwaters. Right. We didn't know the name of that forest. The English over here hijacked it, and they they call it the forest. Well, the bottom line is that's the name of the forest, folks. Is Rendlesham Forest? But in our days, that was just woods. It right. didn't mean beans to us. Right. I was based on Bentwaters. All the security forces pretty much lived on Bentwaters. Just give us a taste and, in, a, in a few moments uh, of what yeah. you saw. Uh, no problem. No problem, because it goes way beyond, because I'm an old guy now, you know. You all think I'm really young, but it ain't the case. <laughs> I uh, was 19, and um, uh, we had an alert going on on the base, which is proven. And there had been two previous nights of activity, and that would have been the famous one where Sergeant Penniston says he touched the craft. I don't say he didn't. And did all that. It wasn't my experience. And got the download, and Johnny Burroughs was there. And 
what they never mention is a guy named Ed Cabanasack, who I trained with, was also there relaying radio information. And my reporting official was Bud Stephens, and he was on the road, you know. And then a lot of people photograph things, and there's a lot people don't know. In fact, when Peter and I wrote our book um, over 11 and a half years and a billion dollars, and which aliens gave us in space gold, <laughs> now people will believe that, you know, i got to be careful. I, I send that out to the Internet crowd. Uh, it's just not my world, man. Uh, but... Um, you know, the bottom line is, is that I was responded to something I thought was an exercise. And Sergeant Bestinza drove us out there. I didn't know him well then. But he happened to be with me through, not just me, a lion's share of what, when we finally got to this place called Cape Green, which is an open field. It wasn't in the trees. And mind you, you know, all these people, you know, they build these touristy things and everything in Rendlesham Forest, but that forest is not the forest that was there in 1980. It was wiped out in 87 right. in a hurricane, you know, allegedly, and, you know, all that kind of thing. So there's a lot of myths, and, you know, you can't control it, you can, you know, and then you become the devil, you know, or Ayatollah Khomeini, because, you know, you're correcting people because you were there, and that's bad, but... I was there, and I lived it, and I knew the time, and I knew Adamant was really popular at the time, and the police song, <laughs> Walking on the Moon. Right, and right. for you Canadian folks, do you know I partied with the band Max Webster in 79? Kim Mitchell. Oh, yes. I did. There you go. And I'm a giant John Candy fan. All, all right. You've established your bona fides. You can come into the country. Well, that's we'll all I need. Okay. You're in. Those arrest things, I hope they just ignore them. I love John Candy. I look at John Candy, and, you know, Danny Aykroyd is who I hear is in Ontario, and I hope anyone can reach out to him. I'd love him and his wonderful wife can come because that wonderful Canadian uh, was on the Rosie O'Donnell show. I guess you don't say that much. And I'm in a bar, and of course, in 1998, maybe, and he's on promoting Blues Brothers 2000 with John Goodman. This is a true story for mm -hmm. about a great Canadian who I met in 82 at, in Lake George, New York, 81, I think, 81, and uh, with his wife, Judy. But um, dear Danny, the great Canadian from Ontario, I think he lives there, and I'd love him. North of there in Kingston, north of here. Yeah, just north of here. Well, I hope he, I hope he gets his ass down and brings his vodka, because this guy didn't have to do this. He's promoting a movie. And he goes, she goes, what else are you doing? He goes, I'm reading this great book. And he pulled out Peter and mine's book, Left at Eastgate, on national TV. And he's only done that for Timothy Good, Above Top Secret. You know, I've, ne I've met Dan and years before that. And I would love him and his dear wife, because he, he asked for me with Peter in a thing Bud did some years ago, Bud Hopkins. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what a great man. And, you know, you can't, you know, these are my heroes. They were the Beatles for us in the 70s. Sure, sure. And I think well, I lifelong, yeah, he's had a lifelong fascination with with the subject matter for sure. And, you know, uh, I, I would rather just talk about music and blues and, you know, rock and roll with that. But he does, he always keeps an eye out on this. And, you know, he did that for us and he didn't have to do it. And that's one of my heroes that did that. It was right. an honor in my life. And I hope he hears this. Thank you, Dan. And I really do. That was really, and it really shut up everyone in that damn bar. They were <laughs> jaws dropping, looking at me. I go, uh huh. There you go. It was what an amazing experience in my life. Yeah, people at, at my generation, 
if they're young, they, they don't know the impact that Belushi and Aykroyd had on us. And uh, they really just, you know, they were on Saturday Night Live in America. And then the, we had Second City Television out of Ontario, you know, Toronto. That's right. And, um, you know, all those great people. And they, they really just made our times. And uh, that's all I can say. You know, I thank them all. If any of them hears it, thank you. All right. So bring us. I, I, that gives me joy. UFOs and Bentwaters gives me no joy. I can imagine. Uh, you know, and, and that might strike people as being odd but i mean that would send you on a on a trajectory that you didn't necessarily plan on and and you know seeing things like that would could, ruin my would, life man. i would damage you i could see they would damage you absolutely total damage total damage so what what did you see though larry things. just give us a glimpse of what you saw that night i saw a thing on the ground and i was with you know, a number of people and they were filming and photographing it in this field and there was a glowing object on the grounds and they try to blame this on a lighthouse and whatever these clouds. England is the worst. They're like 50 years behind with open thinking. I'm sorry, folks in England that hear this. I mean, there are good ones, and then about 80%, man. They're, they're in you know, 1926 with this shit. But at the end, can you say shit in Canada? I don't know. <laughs> well, we just But uh, you just edited that leap. But at the end... Um, you know, you go through this, and that was one thing, because you don't know what you went through. And I, I saw an object on the ground. I didn't see anything fly in and land. I saw something that was one thing, a red light, and it became a different thing. It caused flash and retina burns to my eyes and to others, a lot of physical health effects. And I saw something that was non-human. Now, that is a point of contention, you know, because, mm -hmm. hey, someone builds these things, right? So I did, and I, I can't, you know, you describe them, they end up, Rich, sounded like a B science fiction movie, because even in our book, I was so frustrated, I go, there's only four words you can describe the phenomena with. I think anyone's been through it in real life, not the, I'm crazy, let me explain it by saying I've been through this. I'm talking about the real folks. You're kind of limited in the lingo, and so at the end of the day, I um, I saw something alive. Now, when Adrian and I, not long back, did a show with another witness, John Burroughs, who was there that night, on the third night, he was involved in the both nights. And Adrian put that phenomenon all around me, meaning these light things, people, whatever they are. Well, I think that upset certain people that wanted this to go a certain way. Right. Now, Frank, I'd be happy if he said... No, man, you were asleep back in the barracks, man. <laughs> and that would have been okay. You know, this is where people get it wrong. You know, I sit here every day and not going, oh, I pulled that off. We've never made any money out of this. You want to make money, this ain't the road to go, man. No, I mean, as and, you say, it wrecked your life. It wrecked your life. Well, yeah, you know, I lost jobs. I mean, I did the CNN. I'm going to show that in Toronto, which people forget. But And you'll see witnesses that don't talk because they don't want to go through what I have. You've got the golden child right now is Johnny Burroughs, but people aren't asking hard questions. And then you got Jimmy Peniston, who has the time travel and the message from our brothers in the future. Oh my God, man! And then, you know, well, and then and we have your your story, Larry. Yeah, we, I say, and then we have your story, and we're going to get that. 
Well, my story uh, is other guys, too, that, right. you know, stay quiet. We don't have any answers for humanity. And that's my old man used to tell me, Rich, if someone tells you they know the answers to everything, stay away from That's them. right. Run in the other action. Larry, we got we got to run ourselves. But I'm going to uh, once again remind uh, listeners, Sunday, the 21st of August, 1 to 4 p.m., J.J.R. McLeod Auditorium. Larry Warren will be there, the original uh, whistleblower on the infamous Rendlesham Forest uh, UF, or sorry, RAF Bentwaters UFO event. And, of course, he is also the co-author, along with Peter Robbins, of Left at Eastgate, a firsthand account of the Rendlesham Forest UFO incident. Larry, uh, great connecting with you again. I hope to see you on the 21st, and thank you so much. For Which this. I do, too, brother, and I hope my brother Matt Haler in Ontario, who has Bigfoot living on his property, comes down. <laughs> All right, I'll have to he get does. him on the I'm show. I'm not kidding. Really? All right, let's uh, let's connect so I can get him on Canada, the show. I love Toronto. I can't wait to meet everyone. I hope there's more than three people there. Jesus. <laughs> Not to worry, Larry. It'll be packed to the rafters. Larry Warren. God help us. All right. Love you all. Thank you, sir. When we come back, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, Paranormal News Roundup. Stay with us here on The Conspiracy Show. Poking holes in the darkness. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To see the light... Call Richard now at 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Different views make great conversation. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. Welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. It is that time of the month for our Paranormal News Roundup. Rosemary Ellen Guiley is a leading expert in the metaphysical and paranormal fields with more than 60 books published on a wide range of paranormal, spiritual, and mystical topics including nine single-volume encyclopedias and reference works. Her work is translated into 15 languages. Her current work focuses on interdimensional entity contact experiences, the afterlife and spirit communications, contact with extraterrestrials, aliens and non-human intelligent beings, problem haunting, spirit and entity attachments, psychic skills, dream work for well-being, spiritual growth and development, angels, past and parallel lives, an investigation of unusual paranormal activity. She's worked full-time in the field since 1983, and her new book is Haunted by the Things You Love, along with her co-author, John Zaffis. Rosemary, welcome once again to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Hi, Richard. Well, I'm busy as ever, and in fact, John and I are putting the finishing touches on a second book that will be out uh, in a short time called Demon Haunted, and we're continuing with um, stories about haunted people, haunted places, haunted land, and also some very personal revelations from John concerning afterlife messages from his deceased uncle Ed Warren. Oh, all right. Now, John has the the is it John Zaffis that has the Museum of Haunted uh, Articles? Yes, it's called the Museum of the Paranormal. Right, and uh, he he does have thousands of objects. So. Um, uh, we've been working on that for a while. It's going to go into kind of the darker end of things uh, where people have problems that are very difficult to resolve. 
And I think it's going to be an eye-opener for a lot of folks. Well, I'm guessing that John Zappas has, uh, uh, amongst his, his vast collection of paranormal artifacts, a few creepy cursed dolls, uh, which is sort of the, 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 uh, the subject of our first story. And you've talked about this on the program, uh, and I've had many phone calls, people with creepy cursed dolls. Uh, there's one in particular that's mentioned uh, in this uh, story from Mysterious Universe, and it has to do uh, with one of the most infamous allegedly cursed dolls. It's uh, Annabelle, Annabelle, a Raggedy Ann doll. What can you tell me about Annabelle? Uh, this doll was purchased as a gift, and uh, it was purchased by a mother for her daughter, and her daughter and her roommate uh, started having phenomena when the, they took this doll into where they were living. And um, something was obviously off. They would find uh, notes uh, that uh, mis- would mysteriously appear uh, that seemed to be written by a child that said, help me. Uh, the doll would move around. They would go out. They would come back. They would find the doll either relocated or in an unusual posture, even kneeling, something that uh, they could not get it to duplicate uh, on their own. And um, they were told, they, uh, the phenomena escalated, and, and they uh, got worried, and they were told by uh, a psychic that the doll had become inhabited by the spirit of a little girl, a seven-year-old girl, um, who had died on the land where they were now living. And uh, the thing is that the doll uh, phenomena started getting nastier, and it took on a very uh, dramatic tone. And um, uh, a blood stain appeared on the doll, and uh, one of their friends had the feeling that um, it didn't like him and and that it was going to harm him. He had some bad uh, physical experiences. Things took a malevolent turn. Now, the little girl who was dead, uh, her first name is Annabelle, and that's uh, how the name of uh, the doll uh, got its name, Annabelle. And uh, the doll literally had to be exercised. And uh, two of the most famous demonologists in the field, Ed and Lorraine Warren, were called in on the case. And uh, e- people even said that they they could see this the, uh, doll, um, you know, moving around on its own. And so. Um, they took the doll, and the Warrens had their own collection of haunted objects. Ed, Lo- Ed Warren has now passed over. He died in 2006, but Lorraine is still continuing on um, the work. And Annabelle was placed in uh, a sealed uh, compartment with a sign on it that, that said, do, you know, do not open, uh, because it, it would break the energy and possibly uh, release whatever was attached to the doll. So it, um, it's probably the most famous haunted doll, and uh, these seem to be the most common objects that acquire spirits. It was the basis for the movie Annabelle, which came out a few years ago, based on the, uh, the Warren's casework. And is, is, uh, that's uh, Ed Warren's wife, Lorraine, that still has the doll? Yes, it is still in her possession. All right. Uh, they had determined that it really wasn't the spirit of a little girl, uh, that was haunting the doll. It was a demonic spirit that was masquerading as the dead child. Ah, all right. Listen, we'll uh, take a time out. Rosemary Ellen Guiley is with us, our Paranormal News Roundup. When we come back, accounts of people who seem to literally be from parallel universes, plus the Nevada Triangle. All that and more when The Conspiracy Show returns. Stay with us. 
Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. We are back with Rosemary Ellen Guiley for our monthly Paranormal News Roundup. And Rosemary's website is visionaryliving.com, visionaryliving.com. Uh, now, my, uh, my good friend Tara McIsaac at um, Epoch Times, she writes um, a column called Beyond Science. And uh, this one's a fascinating piece about, uh, well, these are people who, who seem to be literally uh, from parallel universes. And this has happened several times over the last, you know, several hundred years. People supposedly turn up and they say they're from cities and countries that don't exist. Uh, they speak unknown languages. They give some other indications. Um, some say suggest they are from parallel universes. And one such was uh, a man who's detailed in this column by Tara McIsaac uh, from 1850, a man named Jofar Voren found and questioned in a small town near Frankfurt, Germany. Rosemary, what can you tell me about uh, uh, Jofar uh, jo Voren? Well, he spoke German, but not very well, and he appeared to be Caucasian, and sort of like he could fit right in. He was a stranger in town uh, who just suddenly showed up in Frankfurt, but he said he was from a place that no one had ever heard of. And that was called a country by the name of Laxaria. And we've still never heard of a, a country like that, and, and no country has ever been uh, discovered in any historical annals. And he said that it was located in a portion of the world, again, with another strange name, something like Sicaria. And uh, he didn't uh, seem to be... Um, oriented to anything around him, and he gave uh, other names of places. He said he was Christian, um, but that it was called by something else. It had a different name, and uh, he figured that uh, Laksari was probably several hundred miles from where, where he was. So the, <clears throat> the question being, uh, you know, was he deluded? Was he a time traveler, or did he come from a parallel world? Well, we actually have a number of cases that would demonstrate more time travel than parallel, parallel worlds, but these people seem to be literally displaced in time from another era, yet very much from our reality. Here's a guy who seems to be from somewhere else altogether. And uh, I do believe in parallel worlds, uh, and I think that a lot of our entity contact experiences uh, are openings between parallel world. So could he have sort of fallen through one of these portal areas, a weird displacement in interdimensional space? It's, uh, it's quite possible. Uh, the question is, what became of him? Uh, he said he was looking for a long-lost brother and, and that he had been shipwrecked. And did he go through something, if he was out on a ship, did he go through a storm, for example, that might have had electromagnetic phenomena in it? Uh, we would associate these things with some sort of at least time displacement, perhaps interdimensional as well. And um, he was the, the object of a great deal of curiosity, but um, we don't really know what happened to him. 
And uh, I find it a very interesting case. Uh, there's more detail on this than there are in uh, some other very thin cases on record of visitors from other realms. I do believe that it is entirely plausible. Well, this um, this case of Jofar Voren uh, was written up. I mean, it was such a spectacular uh, case that it was written up in the 1852 uh, annal, the year uh, the yearbook of facts in science and art by an author named John Timms. And he wrote, the sages of Frankfurt on the order, after much examination of the tale and its bearer, believed it. That's quite remarkable. It is. And he was shown a globe because uh, they asked him, well, you know, where did you come from? Can you trace your route? And they, they showed him a globe, and he was completely unfamiliar with, with any of the geographic markings on it, the continents, the seas. Uh, it, it was just literally like another world to him. Uh, there's another story of um, uh, uh, a man in 1905 who was arrested in Paris, and he spoke an unknown language but managed to convey that he was a citizen of Lisbon, not, it should be stressed, Lisbon. Uh, what, is there any other details on this guy? Uh, I don't know of any, and uh, this was one of several cases that appeared in a book that um, the late Colin Wilson uh, co-authored with James Grant. And, uh, in fact, um, it's been criticized by a lot of skeptics that um, <clears throat> Wilson may have generalized um, something, picked something up from somewhere and just kind of generalized it without uh, researching the details. I would like to know more about it myself. But, you know, the thing is that uh, when you're looking through the historical records, uh, there are a lot of references to uh, very strange occurrences and phenomena that don't have much detail attached to them. And then it's uh, often impossible uh, to find corroborating sources, uh, especially due to uh, just literally the lack of written records in earlier times. Uh, there, there, another uh, case that's detailed in this book by Wilson and Grant, again, not a lot of details, but it's um, a 1954 passport check in Japan allegedly produced a man with paper issued by the nation of Tored, T-A-U-R-E-D, the man from Tored, as, be, as he's become known. And here again, that's another case with uh, without any supporting documentation to it, and uh, it has, um, you know, skeptics have, have uh, felt that they have debunked it uh, because of that, that this was something that might have even been, um, been made up. But we don't know. The jury's simply out on it. And uh, with a case like uh, that from 1850 in Germany, uh, the Voren man, uh, I don't think we can dismiss these things just out of hand. Well, theoretical physicists are quite certain uh, in the existence of the, the multiverse. In fact, there is a, um, there's a theoretical physicist in, in England, I believe at Oxford, uh, who has uh, written about this and said, once we can develop quantum computing, we will be able to prove the existence of uh, parallel universes in the multiverse. So we're getting close, Rosemary. We are, and, and I believe that science will be able to demonstrate that. I've always believed, just from uh, a, uh, an anecdotal uh, research perspective, that uh, parallel worlds exist to account for, uh, that most of our experiences account for the existence of parallel worlds, uh, including the entities we encounter, the aliens, the fairies, the mysterious creatures, and just unknown beings. I want to talk to you about uh, the Nevada Triangle. Now, I've been you know, to Nevada many times. I've been to Death Valley. I've been to the 
um, you know, near Area 51, not, not exactly to Area 51, but I've been close. Uh, a lot of mystery there all on its own, Area 51. But now we're talking about sort of the Bermuda Cousins, or the Bermuda Triangle's cousin. We're talking about this vast expanse of, of desolate landscape. I think it's about 25,000 square miles. Uh, where a lot of uh, airplanes and, and jets and so forth simply vanish. What can you tell us about the Nevada, the Nevada Triangle? It is a very strange area, and it's huge, of course, out there in the desert uh, near the Sierra Nevada mountains. And uh, supposedly uh, there are accounts that <clears throat> planes go missing, people go missing, and they're never found again. Uh, and I do believe that there are these very strange areas that warp Space, warp physical space and interdimensional space. And so uh, talking about parallel worlds, would it be possible that someone could go through an Alice in Wonderland kind of uh, doorway and not be able to come back? Uh, then others counter that, well, these areas are so huge and full of very unusual and often violent weather patterns. So uh, that could explain the disappearance of planes. And then when you're dealing with such a huge area of desert, it's just simply difficult to find people. So it may be a little bit of, of both. And uh, uh, also when you consider that these areas also are full of reported encounters with unknown beings, there's a lot of UFO activity reported, mysterious lights in the sky. In other words, you have a whole host of unexplained phenomena going on. It puts the concept of literally uh, missing in space and time uh, in, into a plausible reality. And uh, there was that case in 2007, the adventurer Stephen Fawcett, who yes. uh, was a, an experienced pilot and adventurer, and he was also off in hot air balloons a lot. He was a and, member of the, uh, uh, the Explorers Club and, and the Royal Geographical Society. I mean, he, he obviously uh, is not, you know, someone you would think would would uh, would would get lost, but um, he was and very experienced. Would, and that he would also know the weather patterns of this area. These uh, apparently there are uh, almost like sheer uh, wind downdrafts that can run almost perpendicular to each other and, and create very uh, unusual aerial conditions. And uh, but he was a, the kind of pilot who would have been very experienced and knowledgeable about that. And he went missing in uh, September 2007. Uh, took off on what was going to be a very short uh, flight and uh, never showed up. And uh, there was quite a search for him for quite a long time. Nothing was ever found. And then uh, it was a, a just a little over a year later that a hiker was out in this area and found some of his belongings out in the wilderness. And uh, there uh, uh, was some, um, uh, some bones found, um, and uh, the bones were determined to have belonged to him. And so what really did happen to him? Uh, was it a normal crash, or did something unusual happen to him? Uh, we'll never really know the answer. But these are very tricky areas, and uh, we've got one in Massachusetts called the Bridgewater Triangle. The Bermuda Triangle, of course, is famous for uh, weird activity that adversely affects ships and planes. Now, getting back to the Nevada Triangle, um, and, and these are, I mean, Fawcett was, this was a single-engine uh, aircraft, but there have been 
you know, there have been large uh, aircraft that have disappeared. Um, I think B-52 bombers and, and, and things like that. And things that you would expect wouldn't be that hard to find. I mean, we're not talking about uh, something that sinks to the bottom of the ocean here. So, I mean, w what other theories? Is it possible that these aircraft get too close to, let's say, Area 51 and they get shot down? My, my personal theory is that uh, it's some sort of weird, unexplained phenomena. Uh, I don't think they get shot down. Um, I think that um, they, they encounter something that uh, this planet has uh, all kinds of anomalies on it that I think are linked into these parallel dimensions and otherworldly uh, realities. And uh, almost like crossing the bar, uh, of a dangerous river that flows out in the ocean, there are these these uh, nexus points where uh, you can become in great danger of uh, literally dematerializing. And uh, that's my personal theory, just based on a lot of accounts that I've read in, in some of these areas, that that might be one explanation that, that could account for this. Easy to lose a small plane against the backdrop of a very brown and plain desert. But, you know, like you pointed out, Richard, how do you misplace something like a B-52? Right. And we're talking about, from what I understand, 2,000 incidents, 2,000 missing aircraft over the last 60 years. So, uh, Which is... And, uh, Again, here we have this anomaly. I mean, it, it's too high to be um, just plain accidental. Something's going on there. All right. Uh, I don't know if we have time to talk about the uh, the Jersey Devil, but uh, I'm a hockey fan, and um, I, I never actually, until a couple of years ago, actually figured out why they, they're called the New Jersey Devils. And But this is, you know, this is based on a, a legend, the Jersey Devil that supposedly inhabits the... the uh, the, the pine forests of New Jersey. People think of New Jersey as, you know, Newark and, and these built-up cities, but there's a lot of remote areas in New Jersey. Is this, what, what can you tell us very quickly about the Jersey Devil? Pine Barrens, uh, southern uh, coastal area in New Jersey, um, famous cases going back in time of a creature that looked like a combination of basically a horse and a dragon. Uh, and sometimes with a little bit of goat features in it, and uh, was said to fly around in the Pine Barrens at night. And uh, people have actually had encounters with the New Jersey Devil, not just in New Jersey, but elsewhere as well. I ran down a case in, in West Virginia, and uh, we have a, an eyewitness account here where a teenager was driving through these uh, uh, Pine Barren forests at night, and all of a sudden she sees this creature uh, literally sitting uh, incredibly on blueberry bushes, this huge creature sitting on blueberry bushes. Already we've got something otherworldly going on, because how could something of mass rest on the top of blueberry bushes? And uh, it had um, uh, a very weird look in its face. It was kind of in a crouch. It had um, a huge head. It was larger than a person. And uh, it had hind legs like an animal. And uh, it took when it took off, it, it got startled. It looked at her, took off. She didn't see wings, but she heard what sounded like wings. And this is very consistent with um, New Jersey devil sightings throughout the ages. So New Jersey's always been a state with a lot of weird stuff in it. And New Jersey devil, that's one more piece of evidence to that fact. There you go. Rosemary, thank you so much. Always great to talk with you. Rosemary Ellen Guiley. Thank you, Richard.
visionaryliving.com. All right, that's it for us. Thank you, Ian. Thanks to uh, Albert, Jonathan, Franz. Back next week with a brand new program. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.
This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.